Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Words that we say when we return the uh, Torah to the Ark on this Erev, Erev Shvuas at J.M. the A.M. That's, of course, the great cantor, Yasela Rosenblatt. Wow, pretty amazing, huh? With Uvenucho Yomar, Eitz Chaim He. Pretty amazing. Uh, Shlomi Gertner before that, Yahalalu Ben Sion Schenker with Hodu. Have to edit that a drop on our playlist. There we go. Um, Shlomo Katz had both uh, Bowie B'Shalom and Proke off of Likrat Shabbat. Mach Abracha, that was Shmuli Unger. And the Regesh with Modani opening things up. As we say, good morning. Welcome to a Friday on this June 7th, the 4th of Sivan, the year 5779, and Test. Today is day number 48 in the counting of the Omer. 48, that's six weeks and six days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar with candle lighting at 8.04. Shavuos is tomorrow night, Sunday, and Monday. Yisker is recited on Monday outside of Israel. Um, and, and it's, it's Yantif on Monday outside of Israel. Keep that in mind as we head into a three-day Chag here at um, JM in the AM. Rabbi Yudin will address all of this at 8.15 this morning, Eastern Time. And we next are here on Tuesday morning. So today you'll have uh, Naomi Nachman with um, a table for two. You will have... Um, uh, Mark Zamek in the Arab Shabbos show starting at 10 a.m. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. You'll have the Harry Rothenberg video blog at 1 o'clock. You'll have our uh, Arab Shabbos music mix again brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And that'll go until candle lighting time. And then you will uh, rejoin us Tuesday morning here at JM in the AM. And we are certainly already looking forward to it. 67 degrees outside with 79% humidity winds in northeast. Five miles per hour. Looks like pretty good weather for Yuntif. Partly cloudy today with a high of 80. Tonight, mostly cloudy, low 65. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, a high of 82. Yerushalayim is at 83. We're at 67 here in New York City as we say good morning on a Friday at JM in the AM. And again, keep in mind that Yisker is said on uh, Monday. You want to keep that in mind. Uh, weekly update coming up about an hour from now. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations. He will join us coming up here at JM in the AM. And as I said, Rabbi Yudin, of course, will check in. And we will uh, begin to wrap up yet another amazing week. I do remind you that we have our fundraiser, our spring fundraiser uh, going on. It is in full swing. And um, those of you out there who would like to be able to tune in every single morning to us here at JMAM, all we ask is you keep us going. We've done this for 35 years. I think we could do it for quite a while longer. Um, go to fjbunity.org. Just keep supporting us, fjbunity.org. Give generously. Give before, the, uh, give before the holiday if you wish. And I thank you all for your consideration and uh, for your dedication to this uh, radio effort. It is certainly one that uh, is remarkable, uh, like this audience. Uh, what do we got? We got this one from Yidl on an Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Tov at JMM.
Thank you. 
I was made way back in 1842 by a humble man, a real God-fearing Jew, who did his work with honesty, feeling and with pride. He was known in Kiev as Yankele the Scribe. With loving care, his hand so sure and still, he formed me with some parchment, ink, and quill. Each day he'd slowly add to me just a few more lines, with words to last till. The end of time, and on the day that I was finally complete, the whole town came and filled the narrow street, and they sang and danced and held me high and carried me away to the little wooden shul where I would stay. And as the rabbi held me close against his chest, he spoke out loud and clear to all the rest. He said, "No matter if you're very young or even if you're old, live by the words you'll find inside this scroll." Three days a week, they read from me out loud. It filled my soul with joy. It made me proud. They followed each and every verse with fire in their eyes. The words that told them how to live their lives. I watched the generations come and go. I saw the old men die, the children grow. But never in a century did I miss my turn once, for the fathers they had left me with their sons. But the hatred from the west came to Kiev. And they rounded up the Jews who had not fled. But Moshe Levi Shamas, he was brave and he was bold. He hid me in his cellar, dark and cold. And for years and years I waited all alone for the people of my town to take me home. And they'd sing and dance and hold me high when they carried me away to my little wooden shul where I would stay. But it was someone else who found my hiding place, and to America he sent me in a crate. And the men who took me off the boat, they said I was a prize, but they were Jews I did not recognize. 
And in a case of glass they put me on display Where visitors would look at me and say How very nice, how beautiful A stunning work of art But they knew not what was inside my heart And across the room I saw upon the shelf Some old friends of mine who lived back in Kiev A silver pair of candlesticks A menorah made of brass We'd all become mere echoes of the past So if you hear my voice, why don't you come along And take me to the place where I belong And maybe even sing and dance when you carry me away To some little wooden shul where I could stay And as the rabbi holds me close against his chest He'll speak out loud and clear to all the rest He'll say no matter if you're very young Or even if you're old Live by the words you'll find inside this scroll Live by the words you'll find inside my soul With but one word, as time commenced, he bade the world begin. A universe of endless space, both outward and within. With but one thought, he granted life, a spark to stir the mind. And to man, above all else, a soul indeed divine. With but one Torah would he sketch a path on which to stride, 
adorned with cool, refreshing springs to quench our thirst inside. With but one people would he choose this Torah to impart, exalted by the ancestry that forged their noble heart. Thoughts and dreams of all mankind, their fate and destiny. With but one word, he can and will return us to our land. And how his love was always there, we then will understand. And how his love was always there. We then will understand.
Group Shamayim. That's the opening part of the song they Nenu. Before that, you heard Pitzchuli from them here on JM in the AM. One word that was A.B. Rottenberg and Company off of Journeys 4, the place where I belong, a great safer Torah song on this Erev Erev Shvuis uh, from Journeys. Yidel had a Hallel. It's a Friday, JM in the AM for June the 7th, the 4th of Sivan. It's day 48. In the counting of the Omer, six weeks and six days. You forgot to count last night. Make sure to do so sometime today. Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar. Candle lighting at 8.04. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. And uh, remember, this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. 
Around the world, the web, and Nahum Segal. I come on the Nahum Segal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galit Tal in the background with our news from Israel coming up, and plenty more, obviously, as we uh, head until 9 o'clock with this great JM and the AM broadcast. Galit Tal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday air of Shabbos is next. We say Boker Tov from Jenny. Galit Tal, Shashtayim, Kangoni Kohen, Imash Koreach Shav. Adam Neherag, Bitraskut, Matos Kal, Beminchat Megido. Hagever, Bishnot Hamishim Lechayav, Itrasek Misiba, Loyedua. Opuna, Bematsav Anush, Leveta Holima Emek Bafula. שם נקבע מותו. כתבנו בחיפה קובי מנדל מוסר שאדם נוסף נפצע קל בהתרסקות ופונה לקבלת טיפול. חוקרי משטרת ישראל בשיתוף רשות שדות התעופה פועלים כעת בזירה וחוקרים את נסיבות התאונה. הרמטכ"ל רב אלוף אביב כוכבי נפגש היום עם ראשי הרשויות בעוטף עזה והבהיר ההפחתה בכמות הבלונים לא מקרית. כתבנו הצבאי צחי דבוש מוסר שבמהלך הביקור טען כוכבי כי הירידה במספר האירועים האלימים על הגדר ראויה להזדמנות כלשונו. חברת הכנסת סתיו שפיר הודיעה על ריצה לראשות מפלגת העבודה. בואו איתי ונתחיל מחדש, כתבה שפיר בחשבון הפייסבוק שלה והוסיפה. נבנה את המפלגה שלנו כך שתוכל להילחם באמת למען ישראל דמוקרטית, פתוחה, שוויונית וצודקת. כתבתנו טל זרביב מזכירה שבכך מצטרפת שפיר לחבר הכנסת עמיר פרץ שכבר הודיע כי יתמודד. כמו כן חברי הכנסת איציק שמולי וטל רוסו וכן האלוף במילואים יאיר גולן אמרו כי ישקלו להתמודד על תפקיד יושב הראש. שיפור במצבם הבריאותי של הורי הילדות שנהרגו אתמול בבוקר בתאונת הדרכים בכביש הערבה. כתבנו מאיר מרציאנו מציין כי האם התעוררה לפני זמן קצר וקיבלה את הבשורה על מות בנותיה. צוותים סוציאליים מלווים את המשפחה. כמו כן, מצבו של התינוק ששרד את התאונה מוגדר כעת קל. מצבם של הגבר והאישה הנוספים שנפצעו מוסיף להיות קשה. ומזג האוויר נעים, ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות, ובעקבות בדיקה שערך אתמול משרד הבריאות, נחל דליות נסגר לרחצה. כמו כן, הנחלים יהודיה, אלעל ומשושים סגורים גם הם בגלל חריגה במדדים. אלה החדשות.
Ah! 
Try 
find myself slipping away So I'm asking you please will you hold my hand And help me stand Bring me to a place where all day long They're praising your name and they're singing your songs Cause it's there I belong And it's there I JM in the AM. By request off the NSN app, a song from the Waterbury Yeshiva, Mina Meitzar, words from Hallel, that we'll be saying on uh, Sunday and Monday, Mina Meitzar at JM in the AM. Thank you to listener Chayo, pointed out how appropriate the uh, place where I belong is, is a Torah song in uh, honor of the holiday of Shavuot. Much appreciated. JM in the AM Friday, you heard the... Um, Amech Ami selection done by Kol Achai, words from Megillat Rut that we read on Monday in Israel, they read it on Sunday. Mordechai ben David with the Serav and Eitz Chaim, Avraham Fried's Atto Vechartanu, words from the Yom Tov Liturgy, and Vayehi. Shlaimi Daskal, a song that is synonymous, or words that are synonymous with our Torah, Vayehi bin Soha Aron at JM in the AM. 25 minutes before 8 o'clock in the morning, it's Friday on this day 48 in the counting of the Omer, it's Erev Shabbos. Parsha's Bamidbar with candlelighting time at 8.04 in New York. A lot of synagogues begin early. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 
And uh, Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. He is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We'll uh, speak with him coming up as we do on Fridays here at JM in the AM. So we'll have that for you. And um, uh, Rabbi Yudin, of course, with words about Parshas by Midbar and words about uh, the upcoming holiday of Shavuot. He'll have that uh, for you coming up. Big day today. We recommend you keep it on NSN all day long because today, uh, right after JM and the AM, Naomi Nachman with the table for two. Then at 10 o'clock Eastern time, Mark Zamek with a um, a full, amazing Erev Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. That's going to be happening um, between 10 and 2 Eastern time. Harry Rothenberg uh, video blog is in there for Parshas by Midbar. Um, you'll hear the uh, Erev Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And then keep in mind, keep in mind, once Yom Tov starts, the next time we speak to you is Tuesday morning, right, right once Shabbos starts, Tuesday morning here at JMNAM. All right, so Tuesday morning, let's reconvene and get set for a post-Yom Tov uh, show, Tuesday between 6 and 9 a.m. right here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. 24 minutes before 8 o'clock. More coming up. Here's Chazan Natanel Hirschdick.
J.M. in the A.M. Wow. The amazing and incredible Kenter Netanel Hershtik. Friday morning broadcast, J.M. in the A.M. Erev Shabbos, Erev Erev Shvuas. It is uh, Friday, June the uh, 7th, the 4th of Sivan, day 48 in the counting of the Omer, if you forgot to count last night. 
Make sure to do so sometime today. And if you forgot to count last night for the first time, oy, oy, oy. <laughs> what a time to forget. Actually, I said to somebody who told me they had completed the 48 days, I said, make sure tomorrow night, meaning tonight. Don't want to miss that one, that's for sure. Sunday and Monday is Shavuos. Monday is Yisker. And um, the next time we appear here on the Nahum Siegel Network will be Tuesday morning, starting at 6 a.m. Eastern time with JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in. Uh, Malcolm Holmline joins us next. I want to remind everybody that on the 9th of July, which is just over four weeks from now, on the 9th of July, uh, Malcolm Holmline is uh, one of the featured speakers on a uh, Costa Rica tour uh, that will include the Baltic region. Um, the... Jewish Heritage Cruise will offer extensive lectures and incredible Jewish interest excursions at every port. Ports include Poland, Lithuania, Russia, Finland, Sweden, and Berlin. An additional visit major secular sites. The cruise leaves you with an in-depth first-hand exploration of European Jewish life throughout the ages. A memorable and moving post-cruise Shabbat in Berlin hosted by Rabbi Stephen Weil and Malcolm Honlein. And all proceeds from this uh, unique journey go back to the Jewish community. You can go to kosherica.com. The entire itinerary and details are up there. And for information, you can email 613travel at gmail.com. Again, 613travel at gmail.com. As we said, it leaves on the 9th of July, so act fast. 613travel at the gmail.com. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us on this Erev Shabbos, Erev Erev Yom Tov at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning. It's great to be with you. Long weekend and long Shabbat shows ahead. <laughs> you say that with uh, with great anticipation, I must say. Uh, well, Joy and uh, anticipation. <laughs> Expect, expecting to get a little bit of rest and spend some family time, huh? I hope so. <laughs> For a change. <laughs> with, uh, yes, absolutely. By the way, this cruise, you'll be visiting a lot of areas, uh, a lot of parts of the world where uh, it's getting very interesting for members of the Jewish community. I say this during a time when, again, and I know that I've been saying this uh, often over the last month or so, uh, we continue on a weekly basis to see stories about anti-Semitism, uh, to see uh, uh, different policies that are being either encouraged or implemented by governments, colleges, etc. And I'm sure you saw this article by uh, a Pastor Hagee. I think he really summed it up well uh, when he said that uh, anti-Semitism has been dangerously rebranded. He, of course, is referring to the fact that, you know, in addition to or maybe aside from uh, violent attacks against Jews, and unfortunately we still see those, the BDS movement, uh, the policies that are being implemented, the way people, um, uh, 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 the way people um, uh, put their anti-Semitism, uh, you know, behind some type of veil uh, when they uh, speak about different uh, different policies that they'd like to see implemented, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And he claims it's not just a Jewish problem; he says it's a problem uh, that all human beings should be concerned with. You know, Malcolm, I'll be. I was thinking about this this morning, you know, in the old days, and I don't mean to sound too <laughs> too old, but or I should say it differently. There was a time where if one wanted to combat the most obvious type of anti-Semitism, one decided if they wanted to get involved literally in a physical struggle. 
Now it is it, 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 on many levels, it's much more difficult. Now you got to get out there. You have to be educated. You have to understand the positions. You have to ex- understand where people are coming from. You certainly have to understand the ramifications of things like BDS and when people are hiding behind, uh, you know, other statements when they when they take to the streets. In many ways, that can be much more difficult for people, and uh, that may make this battle of anti-Semitism much harder than than in years past. It's absolutely harder in, in a sense. It, it uh, when you have one identified source, even if it's not one individual, but let's say the anti-Semitism of the left, the anti-Semitism of the right. Here you have multiple sources of anti-Semitism, and the um, in, interesting. A report that came out, a new poll done of over a thousand likely U.S. voters showed that they identified um, Islamic sources, Muslim extremists, as responsible for 37% of anti-Semitism, 28% to right-wing extremists, and 22% to left-wing extremists. But 60% of Americans say anti-Semitism is happening more frequently today than 15 years ago, and that the majority considered support for BDS to be anti-Semitic, and uh, a plurality said that the U.S. should oppose, uh, should support Israel in opposing BDS, and in 75% said it was in America's interest to have Israel as its closest ally in the Middle East, and the the favorable and versus unfavorable was 51 to 21, uh, unfavorable on Israel. So the American people as a whole are, are recognizing the, the danger that exists right now and the uh, nature of the threat. And we saw from New York uh, uh, Police Department, uh, which is keeping very close statistics and watch on this, that it jumped so far this year, just since January 1st, by 64% the number of hate crimes, but the number of attacks from, against Jews was up from 112 in 2018 in this period to 184, meaning that 60-some percent of the attacks are against Jews, mm. the hate crimes. So people who, who today, you know, still poo-poo it and say, look, it's, it's right-wing extremists, it's left-wing extremists, it's everyone. And the numbers, you know, speak for themselves. And people who... You know, um, didn't want to hear this, these arguments years ago when we put them forward. Um, need only look at the accounts from the from our campuses and a number of incidents uh, virtually every day. The calls I got just this week about incidents on, on New York subways where people were just approached sitting in the subway told we hate Jews. And, and in one case, uh, a woman physically assaulted uh, somebody she identified as, as a Jewish woman. How disturbing is it and what's the proper reaction when groups that call for equality, groups gather in Washington demanding equality, demanding that everybody respect everybody of all backgrounds, of all lifestyles, etc., and they themselves uh, come out with statements and policies that are, that are either directly or veiled anti-Semitic, uh, what is the proper reaction to that? Well, I think today the proper reaction is that we call out, we name and shame on the one hand, but more importantly, I think it is to highlight those who do the right thing, those university presidents, those others who stood up against anti-Semitism. I just was in Washington this week and happened to be with Senator Wyden as he got information that they passed 
a mandatory Holocaust education in Colorado, and it was a 14-year-old Catholic girl who spearheaded that drive and was responsible for the passage of that uh, of the um, you know of the legislation. But but you know there are symbolic acts. There are uh, there are multiple le- levels, and each one requires a specific response. I think that people in Fairlawn uh, this week and Highland Park rather uh, really acted uh, responsibly. The rabbis got involved did the right thing the right way um and and on the other hand we see people mobilizing chicago against a, a new monument they put up honoring a lithuanian world war ii era commander who collaborated with the nazis he led a gang of vigilantes that that persecuted the jews in a particular part in in lithuania and and a monument is is has been put up in his honor and the Certain communities, others strongly back it. Don't want to hear about uh, the fact that uh, that he was a collaborator with the Nazis. And in each case, you have to do it intelligently, thought through, not just knee-jerk reaction. Apply our resources, which are not unlimited, to the in the most effective way. And it is to get legislation to get more aid to our institutions to do. Uh, put up security and get those in authority to stand up and speak out. And what, no matter where it comes from or who it comes from, it is to 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 be prepared, as we learned from lessons from the past, that nothing is ignored and nothing is insignificant in this battle. And you don't know what then happens. And it, and it means getting involved politically and making sure the right people get elected and that the wrong people don't get elected. Speaking of elected, by the way, uh, and, and I, I have to be careful because some of these public officials that I will criticize for this have been so rightfully outspoken on this topic. I mean, there's certain public officials that are just saying the right things and are encouraging their own officials and police departments to act with great diligence when it comes to hate crimes, etc. But when, but But we also have to be there when public officials decree that anti-Semitism is strictly a right-wing movement to remind, and those who say it's a strictly a left-wing movement, to remind them that it is a movement across the board and that there is plenty of evidence on both sides of the political aisle, and political I mean, you know, outside of Washington, obviously, but both sides of the, of, of the you know, of the ideology aisle uh, that, that are responsible for this anti-Semitic feeling. It's true, and there are statistics, you know, which directed towards one group or another. Like in Germany, they, they announced a very significant increase in the number of anti-Semitic attacks, but said that 90% of the anti-Semitic events come from right-wing sources. But in their system, they lump together those that emerge from uh, any attack by a Muslim is identified as a right-wing attack. So the numbers and the statistics don't really reflect uh, the reality of of where it's coming from and who's perpetrating it. Yeah, and we have to also call out when ethnic or religious leaders, uh, whether it's in a mosque or a church or any place else, or uh, uh, people with uh, with titles or people in authority, have to be held to account. And and you know the the um, uh, and there's no immunity in this. Um, we're about to enter a holiday tomorrow night where, where God gives us the greatest gift, but because of these, those circumstances, it seems the rest of the world has been paying very careful attention to us since that time. And I guess it's just one of the burdens that we have, uh, uh, having this unique gift from the one above. I'm not, I'm not in any way bemoaning it. I'm just saying the irony 
that uh, you know we, we are encouraged to be a certain way, behave a certain way, and certainly be a light unto the nations. And at the same time, so many out there are trying to knock us down, trying to criticize us, and, and, and trying to exhibit their hatred on a regular basis. But it's because we have a Torah. It's because of our values. It's because of the fact that we set a standard that, that we are held to, uh, to a higher, we hold ourselves to a higher standard, um, is part of the reason why people hate the Jews. It is because of who we are. It's, it's a war against the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the Jewish uh, Torah, the, the Jewish state, and all of them are, are interrelated. Each one finds a different form of expression, but from the Nazis to the to the Romans, they would yell, hep, hep, Jerusalem, Pedita, Jerusalem is lost, because that was a way of denigrating and saying that the Jews had no future. And if you, you get down to the bottom line, you see that, that the themes remain the same throughout all of these eras, from the Crusaders till today, from even earlier periods, that the... the um, uh, messages and the themes and what it is. It's not because we did something wrong in the same way we didn't do anything wrong when uh, Pharaoh imprisoned, uh, enslaved the Jews. He said, he doesn't cite anything they did wrong. He just said, well, maybe they'll grow strong and here they are contributing and, and maybe they'll go with our enemies when there's no evidence that anybody had any intent of doing it. Yeah. You know, yesterday yesterday was quite a day on the uh, 75th anniversary of D-Day and it, it, I, I, scary may be the wrong word, but it's it's concerning as they continue to reiterate how the majority of the people you see at these uh, memorials are not, are not going to be around the next time a significant anniversary uh, is being uh, celebrated, commemorated, whatever word you want to use. And it's such an important day when so many went ahead, gave their lives to literally battle tyranny and defeat tyranny uh, at the greatest expense, obviously. And you know we and we have the same thing in our community as we watch so many survivors now coming toward the end of their lives, and it's just concerning. I'm glad there's film and video and testimony that obviously can go on forever because of the formats we have now, but it is different. It is different when uh, you know when people of a certain age have really lived with these uh, these heroes and survivors, etc. And now we're getting to generations that will not be interacting with them nearly as often or not at all, and I don't know. Is it is it scary? Is it concerning? Is it is it something you think about? Of course, it's it's very scary that uh, the Holocaust denial. While still, you have eyewitness to with both the American troops who liberated some of the camps and the victims. Of course, the survivors. All those the both populations are dwindling very fast, and there are by the uh, next uh, twenty five year anniversary, none of them will be around, and it's it's. Um, it should be, and, and it means that the next generation has to take upon itself the responsibility to perpetuate the lessons, to talk to those survivors, and then make sure that the message gets out. Look, we, we don't have less challenges today. It, the difference from 80 years ago, 75 years ago, is that we have a state of Israel with an IDF and an IAF. But the world itself, look at the indifference, look at the amount of anti-Semitism that is being tolerated, and look at the... Uh, reactions and the and the growth of the extremist parties in in Europe and and even in the United States the polarization um, that should be a warning sign to all of us. Yeah, no question about it. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web and AlchemSegal.com and the AlchemSegal Network and of course on the beloved NSN app. We should point out an amazing showing. You know, it's 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 sometimes easy for us. 
because of the position we're at on 64th Street to tell what type of crowd there is. And I know it's all about the weather. I know a lot of people like coming out when the weather's good and we got really lucky this past Sunday. But thank God tens of thousands did want to come out and celebrate Israel, and we should commend everybody for that. So Baruch Hashem, we had an opportunity to celebrate Israel. But speaking of Israel, uh, we have another election coming up in September, as you know. Um, the, the What was the reason that Prime Minister Netanyahu no longer wanted um, and Naftali Bennett and Ayala Chaked to be ministers in his government? That's a very good question. Uh, I'm not sure I know the, the true answer, uh, but we do know that he, he did not want to build them up and have them be at the uh, strategic cabinet meeting, and the um, and I think that he, he wanted to um, cut them off because as long as they uh, occupy the position, and I think if he didn't remove them then, then he couldn't remove them until the election wow. um, because there was a deadline, and the, the so he uh, took them out right then and replaced them with Likud people. Uh, so, so now you have 105 days of disarray coming. <laughs> uh, there's a... Uh, you know, we believe strongly in democracy, but everything can be overdone. And having two elections because of one person and because of, well, in this case, um, it boils down at this stage to one person. But obviously, right. it had to do with a lot of people who didn't vote or voted different parties. And it created a circumstance where he did not have a, a, a no party ever had enough to, to form a government alone, and once you have, go into coalitions, you have to negotiate, and you have to make concessions, and everybody can hold um, the prime minister hostage as he rushes to form a government. Um, and he didn't want to leave the possibility to somebody else whom he could or that they would turn to Benny Gantz, even though they, it doesn't look like he could have put together the, the vote. Instead, he... He, he, they had a majority to disband the Knesset, which means that it's over. You go right to elections. There's no more uh, president can't then negotiate with anybody else. Last week, I proposed uh, that it's possible that the Israeli public, especially those who've been vocally for Bibi, uh, might regard this as a little bit of chicanery, may not be happy with the fact that he did this to the government without giving a chance to someone else to form a government and they they may just get you know they may just view it in that manner a little bit too a little bit too many magical tricks or fun and games uh this week i read and i want to propose that a second election in september because of the possibility of more people being cynical about the whole process now at this point could lead to a much lower voter turnout are you willing to believe that israelis who are traditionally known for large voter turnouts, could really be turned off from going to the polls in September? Oh, I absolutely believe that uh, people could be turned off. I hear it in, in the expressions now. It could hurt uh, Netanyahu's uh, chances that people just get tired. But they, right now, nobody else has been identified that they would rather rally behind, mm. unless there's some internally could revolution, which doesn't appear likely. Um, and we don't know if anything else will happen on the legal front with Netanyahu, uh, even though they did not give him the delay that he requested for a year for for the uh, for the first and interviews and, and uh, he, uh, him uh, being interviewed by the police and processing processes uh, really get underway, um, which was a setback for him. But right now, there doesn't seem to be anybody else emerging that is is seen as a, a more popular candidate. But you 
know, many of the people who turn out, young people especially, could right. be turned off and saying, look, it doesn't matter. They just go back to another election. They manipulate. They... And I wonder how necessary it is to really have a, a strong popular opponent. Like, I, 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 it may just be enough to keep people away that the whole process has gone down this road, you know, in this direction. I mean, I need to rally around somebody else. Um, no, know. that's my point is that right. I don't see them rallying around right. uh, somebody else. So, and and most predictions are that you'll have more or less the same turnout because nothing radical has happened that, that would change it, uh, except that many young people voted for Netanyahu, and the question is, can he keep that vote? Uh, and look, we don't know. We see what happened with the new discovery of that tunnel and the exposure of the tunnel right. in the north, and the fact that the Hezbollah is continuing its activities, um, and that the the um, situation in the south, which at any time uh, Iran could activate the Palestinian Islamic right. Jihad. I want just one just one more thing on the on the Knesset breakdown, though, before we get to the to to, to those. Uh, issues the the if in fact one believes that the three hundred thousand votes that went to this candidate that ended up with no mandates and et cetera you know et cetera et cetera et cetera if if all those you know really cost in the long run Netanyahu the ability to form a government is it possible that he that that they will be able to reach some type of agreement now like in the month of June uh, to either you know keep those small parties out of the election completely or some other type of arrangement that can be utilized to leak Hood's advantage, or the small parties are declaring they're in just like last time, and that's it, and everybody's got to live with it. Well, right now they're all in, and all the parties are in, including Bayit Yudhi, are, are, are going to be running again. And I do think Netanyahu's argument will be, "We, I warned you not to vote for the other parties, right. that if you want a right-wing government, you've got to vote for Lee Hood. Right. And I will, you know, follow those the same policies. And I assume, and I assume he warned the small parties last time not to even run, and they didn't, you know, and it fell on deaf ears. Well, he wanted them to merge, and and the thought, well, Kahlon has already said that he will merge with uh, in Likud, Um, but there was expectations that others might, and some of these smaller parties, including Lieberman, might pay the price. He might be rewarded for having Mm. stood up against the Haredim or stood up for whatever. Right. uh, Or or on the other hand, he could be punished for having brought this on and spent the cost of uh, of a huge amount of money uh, and what people essentially consider a waste. Uh, And the same thing with uh, some of the other parties that were marginal could not be uh, not pass the threshold again. Oh, great point. All right, uh, back to the facts on the ground, or in some cases underground. Uh, tell me about the rocket manufacturing equipment in Gaza. Well, they have discovered that, number one, it looks like they're back to the pre-conflict number of rockets, meaning that they have about 10,000 wow. rockets. And increasingly, they have the facilities for manufacturing the rockets domestically so you don't have the problem of shipments. It's the same thing with that. Uh, Iran moving its uh, capacity for uh, for Hezbollah to to manufacture rockets because it's so difficult to get them there, and that Israel has intercepted so many of the shipments or the depots in Syria that they uh, produce them the factories in uh, in Lebanon that will manufacture and assemble the the rockets themselves right there. The United States presented them with a, a, a pictures of some of the facilities that Hezbollah has, 
and we'll see what the, the Lebanese government does. By the way, it, it is interesting that the Lebanese government is sitting in direct talks with Israel and Cyprus and elsewhere, um, uh, mediated by Mrs. Satterfield from the State Department, about, uh, trying to demarcate the uh, boundaries both on land and sea between Israel and, and Lebanon so that we can avoid a conflict with their claims over territorial waters, that which, as we know now, are rich in, in deposits of natural gas and maybe oil, that they, um, they're trying to work it out between them. So you have Israel and Lebanon talking directly at the same time as we've seen the buildup of uh, the capacity in, in Lebanon and the role of Hezbollah in Lebanon not being diminished um, at all. Does Hezbollah know that Israel's in those conversations? Uh, yeah, it's not it's not exactly a secret, but uh, more importantly, Iran knows. Right. Uh, and, and we're seeing, you know, Iran being more aggressive. It's not that they've taken a more passive uh, um, uh, position. By the way, we're seeing more conflict between Russia and Iran in Syria, which doesn't get much attention. But there have been growing uh, conflicts, and we've had, we saw Russia, um, together with the Syrian troops, getting rid of the uh, pro-Iranian militias from the Tartus port, which a year ago Syria authorized Iran to acquire a multi-year uh, contract to manage one of the um, decks at the at Tartus, which is the um, uh, a naval base, and Russia objected. And now Russian forces, with Syrian forces, expelled these militias that had come in to operate this naval facility. And we've seen other areas uh, of tension uh, them and a, a Syrian general, very high-ranking one, who had been associated with uh, Hezbollah and Iran, somehow um, w- was assassinated while walking in uh, in, in Syria, uh, and he in um, uh, and he, uh, you know, his his removal has raised a lot of speculation about why. I mean, he was walking, I think, in Sweden. Uh, in uh, Sueda, which is in southwest Syria, when um, Brigadier General Al-Ahmad uh, met his fate. So this is an important message that uh, nobody's taken credit for it yet, but the Russians are being much more aggressive in trying to limit Iran's capacity and presence there. At the same time, we see the, the announcements that Iran can have weapons-grade uranium in six to eight uh, months and that some say even even less and the uh, revelations of these huge cavernous underground facilities where they have ballistic missiles and there's movies where you can see rows and rows of these missiles not just being assembled and not just being stored but they have the ability through this these uh, launch uh, sites in the, these underground facilities that they can launch through this ceiling and you have them uh, ready for for action. Um, so the Iranians uh, have also been reported to have launched several Kormashar missiles in, since um, December of, 19, of 18, uh, through the beginning of this year, well into the beginning into this year, uh, are are more active and more aggressive, uh, pushing the the limits. The foreign minister of Germany ran to Iran this week to negotiate and to try to save the JCPOA. 
At the same time, the Germany reveals that they have evidence of, of the Iranians trying to get dual-use technology and that believe that, the, um, that they are working both on their nuclear program and on the missile uh, advances. Um, so Russia is pushing for a summit of the leadership of, for, to discuss the JCPOA with the Europeans. Uh, we'll see whether they really want to go along with it. But there's a very important meeting coming up where Russia, Israel, and the United States, the national security advisors, are meeting. And I think that's going to be very telltale about the future direction. Have the Israelis seen those movies, those films you were referring to? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, by the way, well, I'll get to that in a second, but I mean, should we expect action? Should we expect some type of, I don't know, I mean, you no UN resolution is going to happen. <laughs> so, I mean, should we expect some type of serious Israeli reaction to this at this point? Or well, there's just no Israel way of Israel did strike, by the way, at a, uh, um, a base where they produce Iranian drones, and um, you know there was reports of that they hit the T4 Air Force Base because Hezbollah moved its facilities from the Damascus Air Force Base, which had been hit repeatedly by Israel, to this more remote base, and uh, thought because Russians said that they'd be protected. In fact, Israel eliminated the the factory there. Um, there were. Some missiles launched again uh, towards the Hermon. They fell within Syrian territory, so you didn't see a response to it. But Israel has been making it very clear they're not going to tolerate the, um, right. you know, these continued uh, actions. But I think the message has been pretty clear. Is is it a coincidence that the the pressure that you just described that Russia is now applying, and the greater interest that they're taking in terms of Iran's, you know, presence in Syria, etc. Is that the reason that there's an impression that the U.S. is becoming a little bit more mainstream toward Iran? The, the media, and I know the, the media bias in general, so it could be just that, uh, they're painting a picture that President Trump is really towing a much more even line with Iran over the last month than he was, not talking as tough and certainly um, you know, proposing you know, more talks, so to speak. Does, does the Russian uh, involvement or the Russian overseeing of the Iran situation have anything to do with that? No, I, I believe that uh, I don't think it's so much related to to the Russian involvement as um, uh, you know Iran has been crippled and is being crippled by the sanctions. They're really having an impact, and I think it limits their ability in Iran. It limits Hezbollah, which is out fundraising all the time. It doesn't stop him. It doesn't mean that they don't um, that they, they, they can't continue. But uh, Tamir Heyman, who used to be the head of military intelligence, just gave an assessment this week. Uh, about this, um, uh, showing how the sanctions uh, have hit them, their military capacity and the capacity to to operate and and to support the militias, which they have all along wanted to integrate into the Syrian regular army. They have about thirty thousand members of their militias, Iranian-backed Shiite militias, and they always wanted to have them um, be part of it. But the arrests uh, of pro-Iranian Syrian activists by some of the security forces, which was ordered by Russia, and sometimes with Russian military police uh, uh, being involved. But the, the, I think the American attitude is we have him in a unique position now. We, would, we don't want to go to war. I don't think and either side wants a war right now. 
but that the uh, so you always show that the door is open to negotiations, so that the Europeans and others who still back the JCPOA and still you know condemn the United States for its actions of, of breaking away from it, will see. Look, they're holding out an unconditional offer to negotiate, right. and the Iranians reject that too. Uh, the ten thousand that you mentioned in terms of the rockets, the stockpiles. That I, I, was it. The new PA premier. Somebody made a statement this week about there being. A hot summer coming from yes, God. It was the new prime minister of the PA, uh, Palestinian Authority, did say that. And um, the, 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 also we've heard from some of the leadership, but the, the reports are that Hamas does not want it. They don't want to have, see destruction of their capacity again, and the people inside don't want to pay a price with the, uh, um, what the, the bombing that Israel did. It, took a, a toll on, on especially on the supporters of, of Hezbollah and those of uh, Hamas and those involved with them. Uh, it's more likely that Pidge, which is more more directly controlled by Iran, will be uh, um, much more active. Uh, but both are, are, are a threat. And, um, I, I mean, I, I would is it, is it official now that there's going to be no revelation of a peace agreement or peace plan or, you know, I forgot what it called, deal of the century. Is it, is it now official? That's no, no, not at all. So I it could that, happen before the election takes place still? No, they have not said that. And uh, I'm no, not I'm, they're going to wait. Right, what I'm asking. Because right. they have the meeting in Bahrain coming up and they're not canceling right. it. Right. In other words, I'm asking, is it official that it'll be after the September election? So it's not really official, but you would say it's unofficial, like there's an understanding that they probably wouldn't do this before the election. Well, I, I don't think they're going to reveal the political aspects of it. I think it's going to be the economic, and that's why the meeting in Bahrain is so important. And from all that I know right now, it's still on track to, to happen. Uh, do I think the elections could impact their ability to to advance this and to get Israel engaged? Yes. I think it's very hard before an election. And then everything that happens, of course, gets politicized. So, uh, And the Palestinians don't want to participate anyway. This is probably going to delay that the process definitely. And what is meant when PA officials say that it's that Israel is responsible for the financial future of the Palestinians in Gaza? Um, that that means what? That there has to be a responsibility by Israel to, that they need to take on in order for there to be financial stability in the region. What are they expecting? Well, if the regime collapses, then. Theoretically, Israel could be held by the international community to account for responsibility to make sure that the um, food and all the basic necessities are there. Um, but I think that the assertions were very effectively responded to by uh, Jason Greenblatt uh, and, and said, look, you, you can blame everybody else. But he held them to account for the failure and that they're the ones who are punishing the Palestinian people and denying them their rights and the economic uh, um, uh, development and uh, you know you saw this story with just uh, two of them. One that Iran gave six hundred thirty-one thousand dollars in Gaza to the families of of the quote martyrs, those who who rioted at the right. gates and were killed or uh, wounded. And you see the direct link, but also that the PA voted itself, the cabinet, secretly a, a series of lavish payouts and perks including a 67% salary hike, but retroactive to 2014. This is at a time when they're not paying their senior government officials, the civil service um, 
uh, are, are not uh, uh, getting jobs. And the level of corruption, again, highlighted by this, and there's much more there about all the nepotism, et cetera, that goes on. So, um, you know, the, the PA is trying to say we can't negotiate with this administration, that the Trump administration is too pro-Israel, too, too one-sided, that they won't go to Bahrain, and the Arab countries is, are trying to press them uh, to show up. But most of all, I think many of them just washed their hands of them. Um, the administration has consistently been trying to, to cajole them to, to come in, and it's it's the same that uh, they are even line that they never miss an opportunity <laughs> to miss an opportunity. Yeah, and all those stories of corruption are easy to believe. Reminder, everybody, the Jewish Heritage Cruise, uh, which will offer extensive lectures and incredible Jewish interest excursions at every port, including places like Poland, Lithuania, Russia, Finland, Sweden, Berlin, etc., uh, plus a memorable and moving post-cruise Shabbat in Berlin, hosted by Stephen Weil and Malcolm Honline. It all starts... July the 9th, part of Costa Rica. You could log on to CostaRica.com. By the way, there's a phone number here you can call, toll-free, 877-724-5567. You could also email 613-TRAVEL at gmail.com and act fast because, again, this cruise leaves with Malcolm on the 9th of July. Uh, Mr. Honline, I take this opportunity to wish you a wonderful Shabbos and Yom Tov ahead and... uh, let us hope that the, uh, the Jewish people have a peaceful Yom Tov and that some of the issues we discussed today are resolved in a positive manner going forward. And that we all renew our commitment and our bonds with the Kaddish Baruch Hu and his Torah and that we declare loudly, that we are going to do more and act more, both in, in what we do with our lives, but also how we react to all the challenges that we've been discussing. Yeah, amen to that. Thank you so much for a wonderful Shabbos. Have a great Shabbos and great young J.M. in the A.M., 21 minutes after 8 o'clock, Friday morning on this 48th day in the County of the Omer, this time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. And good Erev Yom Tov. We are, first of all, tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Bamidbar. We start the fourth Sefer of the Torah. And the uh, while there are no mitzvos per se, within uh, Parshas Bamidbar, it is very significant that we read this each and every year uh, prior to Matan Torah and I'm just going to suggest one very important reason. The Torah is teaching us that with Torah we have the ability to transform a Midbar into a Gan Eden and without Torah Unfortunately, the most uh, pleasant of societies will not, cannot endure. So, we go, Emir Tzashem, this Shabbos, from Shabbos into Yom Tov. And the Kiddush, on 
this Motsoi Shabbos of the Yom Tov of Shavuos is that of Yak Nahaz. First, we recite the Kiddush for Yom Tov, and then we have the Havdalah saying uh, uh, goodbye to the Shabbos. Interestingly, there are those that say that when you make the Shechianu on Motsoe Shabbos, as we welcome in the Yom Tov of Shavuos, there are those that say that the Shechianu is not only for the new Yom Tov of Shavuos, that Baruch Hashem, we are privileged to welcome and celebrate, but it also is for the mitzvah of Sfiras HaOmer that we will complete in Hashem, <coughs> counting tonight, the last night, and we wait until definitively uh, nighttime to usher in the Yom Tov of Shavuos. All years we do this because of Tamimos. And this year, it's not only that the Torah says regarding the Sphira that the seven weeks are to be complete, but we're going tomorrow night from Shabbos to Yom Tov, and therefore we have to wait until Shabbos is definitively over in order to welcome in the Yom Tov of Shavuos. And finally, it would be preferable to eat Shalosh Su'udos, Shalashudis, tomorrow, earlier in the afternoon, as opposed to later. And this way, you have your appetite for the Yom Tov meal. What is interesting to note <coughs> is that there are no biblical mitzvos. There are not even rabbinic mitzvos that apply to Shavuos. Emir Hashem, when we have the third Beis Hamikdash, then we will have the one mitzvah from the Torah, which is bringing of the Shtehalechem, which we'll speak about a little bit later. Please, God. What we do have on Shavuos is the observance of minhagim, of customs. And this I find very, very interesting because it shows that we are excited and do not only what we, quote, have to do, but we show our love for Hashem by our fulfilling the various minhagim. <coughs> the three <coughs> primary minhagim for Shavuos are, firstly, as found in Simon Tuf Sadi Dalid, the Ramor writes, Noagim l'shtoach asovim b'shavuos b'veis ha-kneses v'habatim. 
the minog is to spread greens in the synagogue and in our homes, flowers, as a remembrance of Simchas Matan Torah, the happiness and joy that accompanied Matan Torah. The Pasuk says regarding, as we're going to read of Mir Hashem on Sunday morning in chapter 19 in the preparation for Kabbalah Satora, that they had to put a Hagbalah, a boundary around the mountain to make sure that people, neither people nor animals, would ascend the mountain. And the Torah says, Vatson Vahabokor Al Yiru, that the <coughs> animals should not graze on the mountain. What do we see? That Hashem bedecked Har Sinai with a green carpet called grass. And we remember this by our bringing greens and grass into the home and into the Beis HaKnesses. The second minhog is that of staying awake the entire night of Shavuos in anticipation for Matan Torah. Now, there is a medrash that says, ay ay ay, that Bnei Yisrael overslept on the morning of Shavuos when Hashem was going to give the Torah. So, to rectify that <coughs> experience from the past, we stay up all night. Now, the truth of the matter is, this is very challenging to understand. How could it be? Could a chassan and kala oversleep on the day they're getting married? The Ran says the Jewish people were so excited to get the Torah that they instituted the concept of counting for Kabbalah Torah. And Hashem agreed and gave us the mitzvah of Sfirasa Omer. So I heard a very interesting interpretation. And that is as follows. Moshe told the Jewish people that they will experience prophecy. They will receive the Torah. Now, at the end of Parshas Baaloscha, the Torah tells us that Hashem summons Aaron and Miriam and Moshe. <coughs> And in chapter 12 of Baaloscha, Pasuk Vav, Hashem says, Do you want to know the difference between the prophecy of Moshe and that of all the other prophets? All the other prophets, says Hashem, Bamare Elovis Adaberbo. Hashem communicated to all the prophets in a dream. And therefore, 
Klal Yisrael thought they too would experience Nevuah in a dream. <coughs> and therefore, <coughs> it was as if they took an ambient to make sure that they slept, to make sure that they would get the Nevuah. Hashem had to awaken them because, no, you got it all wrong. Your level of Nevuah is going to be like that of Moshe, Peh El Peh, directly. And so our belief in Hashem, in Torah, comes from our personal experience of Nevuah at Har Sinai. And so we stay up all night in anticipation and excitement for the uh, Torah reminding us of our very special kind of uh, nevuah that we received not in a dream. And finally, the third custom is that of eating <coughs> dairy on Shavuos. The Ramah writes, Biom Rishon Shel Shavuos on the first day. And the first reason that's given is the Pasuk in Shira Shirim, whereby we're taught, Devash the Cholov Tachas Lishonech literally honey and milk and therefore we have the milk the Mishnah Brewer brings the popular reason that when we received on Shavuos the Aseris Adibros so like Reb Sadjagon says the Aseris Adibros are ten categories and within these ten categories are included all the mitzvot of the Torah, including the laws of Kashras, and therefore the laws of Shechita, and how to um, have prepare the knife for Shechita, as well as all of their utensils, which they had used prior to Kabbalah Torah, now had to be kashered. So therefore, the only thing they could eat was dairy, and therefore we remember that. Interestingly, the Chafetz Chaim writes that this goes well with the Mandi Omar, Rabbi Eliezer Ben Azariah, who's of the opinion that Torah was given on a Friday. But according to the Gemara in Shabbos, Pei Vav Amid Beis that Torah was given on Shabbos then they couldn't do Shechita anyway they had to eat quote unquote dairy I'm going to suggest that there are different ways that people fulfill the mitzvah of or the minhag rather of eating dairy just be aware that Shavuos is a Yom Tov and the Somachto Bechagecha 
our rabbis and the Shulchan Aruch tells us includes basar v'yayin. Remember, if I were to ask you how many dairy weddings have you gone to, so the answer is you might have gone to one or two over the years, but certainly the great majority of weddings and Shavuos is just that. We are celebrating a kind of our wedding with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Kof har kigigis. HaKadosh Baruch Hu held the mountain like a chuppah over Klai Yisrael. And so therefore we should have meat as part of the Yom Tov. Some have a meal of dairy, some make kiddush when they come home from shul and have the dairy and have the um, meat later on for their meal. There are even those, the Ramah says, you have to be very careful. And if you want to do this, check this with your local rav so you'll make sure you're getting it right. But there are those that actually start the meal with dairy. You've made hamotzi over to challah, because every Yom Tov meal requires Lechem Mishnah. And then after the first course, we take everything away, plates, silverware, etc., tablecloth, and we bring out a new set, a new table for the meat. And now the halacha says you can't use the same challah with a meat meal as you use with a dairy meal, and therefore, ta-da, ta-da-da-da-da-da, we're bringing to the table two more <coughs> challah, two shtehalechem, which is a reminder to us of the special korban of shtehalechem that was brought on Shavuos. Shavuos is really our graduation. We go from the second day of Pesach that we brought a korban omer, which was of barley, and barley is ma'achal behema, that which you feed your animals, until Shavuos, when we have the shtealechem of wheat, which is that which you serve your family. Adults, humans get the wheat, animals get the uh, barley, so on Shavuos we graduate from barley to wheat. On the second day, of Shavuos, we read the Megillas Rus, whereby we have laws of Gerus, because Am Yisrael underwent Gerus on conversion. We became Jewish by the acceptance of our mitzvos of Tariag on Shavuos. It is because it's the personification of Chesed and teaching us that that is the bedrock of Torah, Derech Eretz, Kodma La Torah. And finally, we have the practice of reciting (coughs) Yizkor on Shavuos, for indeed, whenever we read from the end of Parshas Re'ei, as we do on second day of Shavuos, Ish Kematnas Yad, in our recitation of Yiskar, we 
pledge tzedakah, and that is a uh, strong minhog that we incorporate the recitation of Yiskor with the pledging of tzedakah. Each and every person should realize what a very special Yom Tov, the Yom Tov of Shavuos is. The Gemara tells us, Ilav Hayuma, were it not for this day, Kama Yosi, Ikabashuka, how many Joes there are. I'd be a regular Joe, said Rav Yosef, if not for this day. This is the day Shavuos, that while unfortunately it doesn't yet enjoy that same popularity as does a Pesach Seder, as does a Yom Kippur, but we who are privileged to observe Shavuos understand that this is our lifeline. Asher banu mikolo amim that God chose us, selected us from all the nations of the world. V'nosan lanu es toroso and we say thank you Hashem for this incredible gift of Torah that you have given us and we pledge to observe it, honor and cherish it Please, God, till the end of days. Shabbat Shalom and a good Yom Tov to all. the last Yom Tov of the year. It's time to celebrate the day that Hashem gave us the Torah on Har Sinai 
and all of the sweet mitzvos that we do every day of the year. On Shavuos, we stay up and learn, eat milchik foods, read the story of Rus, and celebrate the gift of the Torah. And we're wishing everybody a good Yom Tov and a wonderful Shabbos ahead. Candlelighting at 8.04 on the Sarah of Shabbos Parshas Bamidbar.
I thank you all for joining us. Sunday and Monday is Shavuos. Next time you hear from me will be Tuesday mornings, JM in the AM. Tuesday mornings, JM in the AM will be the next time you hear from me um, here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, Schlockrock has a perspective of staying up all night on Shavuos night. Here it is at JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. Time is taking Shabbos and good Yom Tov with journeys on this Arab Shabbos at JM in the AM. My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. 
Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSingle.com, on the NahumSingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Well, I thank all of you for tuning in and being part of another great week. Wonderful listening experience here at the Nahum Single Network. Plenty more coming up right now. Naomi Nachman with Table for Two. Mark Zamek with the Arab Shabbos Show, sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem. Um, Harry Rothenberg's video blog. Arab Shabbos Music Mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Next, you hear from us, from me, Tuesday morning after the quote-unquote three-day untif. Tuesday morning right here with JM in the AM. Shabbat shalom. Chag Sameach, everybody. Till Tuesday, Nachum Segal reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.